mm-hmm. you know, we're so like, oh, let's get out there and do all that social media, YouTubing it, Twitter, la, la, la. And sometimes, it, you know, making that personal connection, maybe by phone, maybe via direct message, but really remembering to make the individual personal connections with people that could be, you know, possible people you can help. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. My name is Matt Rouse, and today my guest is Christina Rivera. Christina, how are you? I'm doing fabulous. Thank you for having me on, Matt. I love having great guests on, and I know you're a great guest. We've only talked briefly so far, but I know it's going to be awesome. Christina is a author, speaker, consultant, and internet radio show host of Savvy Business Life Unscripted and has over 25 years of experience in corporate accounting. That is something that's amazing in its own. Since the conception (laughs) of Savvy Business 2012, she's interviewed over a thousand businesses, foremost experts, and successful individuals of all walks of life. Christina, why don't you tell us a little bit more about Savvy Business and about what you do? Sure, sure. I started over 25 years ago in corporate accounting. It was interesting. I was working in print and making copies in a print shop and decided I'm over this. I want to get into something new, but I didn't have an accounting degree. I didn't want to go back to college. So actually what I started to do is look for opportunities. I started to, in my company, a law firm, I started to just wait around and talk to people in accounting because that looked like a good place to work. And I started to say, do you need help on anything? And so when it came time, one of the yearly closes, they had a lot of work for their billing. They said, yeah, sure. Could you help us out with this? And so they kind of gave me the ropes of how to do some billing and understand some of the basic accounting for closing out the books. And uh, after doing that for about a month, I put on my resume that I had accounting experience and then started to look for a new job. And then it swung from there. And so I was probably 25, 26 years old and started my accounting career and went on from there and moved up to different levels, manager and all that good jazz. And then I got to a point where I wasn't too pleased with my existence in all these corporate America jobs. It seemed to be sucking the life out of me. My health wasn't doing well, got really overweight and said, next 30 years, I don't know. So then I started to say, what's next? And and also within that time frame of you know having health problems, whatever, the last four companies I worked at that had to keep cutting people, moi being one of them. And I was like, I cannot go through another cut. And my ex-boss said to me, well, why don't you just start a business? I think you'd be fabulous at it. And I'll partner with you. He ended up not partnering with me, but being a mentor. But hence, that's how I got my consulting business started. And then while working on getting my consulting business up, I wanted to build my credibility and reputation for people to see me as an expert that they hire, not as an employee. So what better way than to start a podcast? And I initially thought I'd uh, do a podcast like a Susie Orman, where I'd help people with their financial issues. And my friends were like, no, no, no. People are not going to call and tell you their financial woes. They don't know you. Hells no. But why don't you have experts on along with yourself and you talk about business and you can share knowledge and help other people. So eight years later, we are still broadcasting and we've interviewed more than a thousand business owners from launch all the way up to multi-billion dollars. And it's been a blast. Nice. And I mean, I just did. uh, I just recorded our end of the year episode yesterday and I mean, this is going to air in a few weeks. So when you're listening to this, it's probably going to be part of the way into January already of 2021. We're actually recording on New Year's Eve of 2020 right now. The last day I know a lot of people are are, we're over 2020. 
And but anyways, I, I was recording it and I looked back and I was like, wow, we interviewed like 90 people this year, just this year alone. Right. And man, I have to say, and I know tons of everybody and their dog is trying to start a podcast now, but podcasting, if you do it right, it's a fabulous way to learn things and meet people. And I mean, I have my list of podcasts that I listen to regularly. And if you can stay at it, which obviously you have, there's so many benefits to it, so many rewards to it. And I, I think the best part, and I think you might agree with me, Matt, is really coming at it from a service attitude, because I didn't come in at like, or how to make money from this which is a lot of people have said to us because we have started to bring in sponsors after about two years on the air. But it was really like, how can I pass my knowledge and how can I also learn? And people begin to trust me as, as an expert because they don't know me in that fashion. I was before that an, an employee. So sharing knowledge without the idea of getting anything back. And now over many, many years, not only have we gained clients that we weren't even looking for, but we've made wonderful friendships for, that have lasted till to this day. So... Same. We met some really good people. Do you guys ever have like the same person on your show more than once? We have for phenomenal guests. I have one gal who's been in the safety. She's written a lot of the safety information for the FAA. Okay. And she's come on to our show. We have every year an event called Aviation Month where we have eight foremost experts in the aviation industry because I love flying and aviation. And so she's been on about five times and she's also been a client several, several times. Yeah, I think I've had about maybe six or seven people that have been on twice. And we did a couple of like collaboration episodes where like we did an episode that's going to go on both of our podcasts at the same time, but we just recorded it once. That's a great idea. It seems like a great idea, (laughs) but it's hard to pull off and make it kind of sound. You're like, well, am I introducing my show? Are you introducing your show? I mean, it, it needed a little more work when we did it, I think, but next time we'll nail it down. So Let's talk about Chasing the Entrepreneurial Dream, which is the name of our episode today. A lot of people want to and need to get out of the corporate rat race, right? And you hear all the excuses that everybody has all the time. I mean, I heard them all when I was starting my businesses, right? They're like, well, don't you want job security? And I mean, you hit the nail on the head. How many times do you get laid off before you realize having a job is not job security? <laughs> exactly. Right? Any company can lay you off for any reason at any time. It happens sometimes in, you know, some larger organizations just have almost like a churn cycle. They're just like every five years, we're going to cut two percent of the staff or something. Right. Because they're, they they want to trim the dead weight, I guess, is the idea behind it. You know what? One of the companies I worked at loved them to death. What ended up happening is they got a whole new upper echelon hire, meaning the new CEO and and top officials. And they all have a different vision of where they want the company to go. And what this company had that I love, besides the fact that everyone there was awesome, the work I enjoyed. But what ended up happening is that I started the company and we had 20 days of vacation to start as a new employee. And then every two to three years, it went up another week. So there were some people who've been there 20 years who practically had six months vacation. Wow. And so, the, you know, when they hired a new CEO and new top officials, they were like, OK, we need to change the policy here. So one of the first things they started to do was get rid of all the people who've been there for a period of time that had a slew of vacation day. Me being one of them, because they're like, this is ridiculous. You're spending all this money and they're not in the office because they have all this time or we have to pay them for the time. So, yeah, I could understand why the vacation got a little hairy. But, hey, I mean, I love the company. If they would have said, hey, can we work on cutting the hours, give you a little bit more pay? 
but you know, you never know how it's going to work with new hires or. Yeah. I mean, the people with all that vacation were probably the most productive people on their staff probably had a real problem after. Exactly. Because you get to rest. I, I think that's something to be said about American workforce that they think more equals better and not always. Yeah. I think if, if coronavirus has taught any companies, anything, it's that measuring your employees by how long their butt is in a seat is not a good way to measure their productivity. Mm, absolutely. I also think a lot of people, especially in corporate America, were discovered that their job is meaningless. <laughs> like, what do you mean? I mean, I've worked at some big, big organizations, some of the world's biggest organizations. And I've gone into groups where, like, I don't even understand why any of the why the group even exists as a thing. You know, I've, I've seen people who have jobs that are kind of like the old office space one, right? Where the one guy's job is to his secretary takes the, the information over the phone from the customers and then he walks the piece of paper down to the engineers, right? <laughs> like the job that shouldn't exist. There's so, so, so many of those. But then also there's the other side of the coin. There's so many people who are doing such fantastic, fabulous work that are not getting any kind of credit or reimbursement for the amount of value that they're bringing. So it's kind of both sides of the coin. I heard a lady on the radio the other day. They were asking people what they learned in 2020. And she said that she learned that 2020 makes people more of whatever they already were to begin with. So like if somebody was helpful, they became extremely helpful. Or if somebody was lazy, they became extremely lazy. Interesting. So all these different things that came out. And I thought that was a super interesting way to look at it. Well, you know, what's great about that, Matt. It sounds to me that with that in, in mind, then businesses can get really clear about what can be cut and what can stay and reward the the ones who are really putting in and the ones that aren't really necessary or putting in or, or being lazy are the ones that we can trim the fat on. Right. As long as they have some kind of mechanism to measure it properly. But man, so what do you, what do you let me ask you the same question then? What do you think that you learned the most from 2020? I think I learned that, you know, a lot of what I was doing with my clients in person, going to their offices and working with them and, oh, you have to come here. We have to have this meeting. I realized how much we could do without having to be in a physical space together. I learned that. And also the possibilities of how much more I could extend my work into different states by using modern technology. So now I'm working with more people who aren't just based in the East Coast. I'm working with the West Coast and you know, middle of America and even overseas more and without realizing that this was possible all along. But it took this happening for us to realize, hey, we have this wonderful technology. Let's use it to its fullest extent. So that's actually been a huge blessing this year. You know, without kind of that happening with that realization of companies having that, I wouldn't have been able to move out of the city that I lived in because I had clients in that city who hired us specifically because they wanted someone local. Right. And so I went back and discussed it with them and said, look, I'm thinking of buying a house somewhere. Right. I'm going to move to Nova Scotia of all places. Right. I'm going to I'm going to move thirty five hundred miles. Bit of a trek. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to be a time zone difference and stuff. Four hours. And, you know, I'll, I'll make sure it's not an issue for you. But I just wanted, you know, because you hired us because you wanted somebody that could, you know, drive into the office and talk. But we haven't been able to talk for six months, right? Because of coronavirus. <laughs> so most of them were like, I don't care where you are, right? As long as you make the phone ring, we don't care where you live. Yeah, I love that. As long as you make the phone ring. <laughs> yeah. And my business partner has been living in Costa Rica for almost three years. Awesome. 
Yeah, I mean, and nobody noticed <laughs> when he was gone, right? Because he still calls everybody back and same phone number. It's still a local phone number. And, you know, I think a lot of people miss that kind of technology also is that just because you're in like you're in Texas, that doesn't mean you can't have a local New York phone number and get New York clients and they could call local number two. Not that it matters in the United States right now, but, you know, everybody's cell phone calls everywhere for free there. By the way, that's not a thing in Canada, just to let you know. Oh, I didn't know that. Also, trying to get a phone that works well between the United States and Canada is basically impossible. It's just better to get two phones. Well, I think that's another reason why a lot of these apps like Quadcast, uh, Squadcast that we're on and Zoom and other such places have blown and it really expanded because now with these technologies, most people can pull up a Zoom or a Squadcast on their phone, connect with people and even see their face. So it has even added that extra. So I, I've been getting that with a lot of my clients. The only thing I do miss, because I really, really love the physical contact. I, I do miss seeing people in person, getting together for that cup of coffee sometimes. So, uh, you know, that's that's a big bummer. But it's also been a big blessing. Yeah, the virtual high five is not as cool as the real life high five. No. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody under 30 is like, thanks, guy who still high fives. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not making a millennial joke, people. <laughs> I'm always on. You know what? I got a few friends on some of the social media that are always pulling out those jokes about like they'll have like a rotary dial telephone and they'll be like, this is a telephone that no millennial can figure out how to use. And I'm like, just stop with the millennial jokes. All right. I mean, why would they want to use one? They have a digital computer could, could go anywhere in the world in their pocket 24 hours a day. Nobody wants your rotary dial telephone. <laughs> in fact, I hated the old grandma telephone, the rotary phone, when you had to dial the zero and you're like, come on, darn it, let's go. I got to get this phone. I know, it's going to take forever. <laughs> yeah. Or we still go like this. I don't know if you do that. Do you still say, I'll call you? And people are looking at you, what are you doing? It's Yeah, what are you doing with your, you're like, hey. It's like this, dude. <laughs> it's like this. <laughs> <laughs> Holding up your hand. They're like, I'll call you and just hold your hand out in front of your face like you're holding your phone. Or I'll go like this. I'll, I'll text you. Yeah, I see people do the texting with the thumbs. They're like, I'll text you and they bang their thumbs back and forth up and down. So we're getting a little outside of the realm of what we we're going to talk about today, which is fine. I love it. But I do want to kind of talk a little bit more about the entrepreneurial dream. So somebody they're in corporate America, maybe they just lost their job because of layoffs or from covid or they're just thinking about making a change. A lot of people they're going to set a New Year's resolution. I don't want to be at this dead end job anymore. What's the next step for people? There's many next steps. But for me, the way I did it is being on that road of maybe being laid off again and my ex-boss giving me the idea to start my own business. I immediately went home, spoke with my partner, now husband at the time, and we said, hey, what do you think? And so we sat down and said, okay, we could be a financial consultant or offer collections, AR services. What would that look like? So we started to write out a business plan, which we all looked over. And then I hired a mentor who was in that industry working in a collection slash AR business. And so we had meetings on how that would look like, how I'd roll it out. So I could start to get an idea of what that would look like in real time. But then I also found that I wasn't, whereas I love the work I do in finance, I don't feel like it's my, you know, like, ooh, ooh, yay, I just can't wait to do it every day and I want to make it my my business. And my mentor was the first one to say, do you want to live, breathe, eat this? Because when it's your business, you're going to have to do that. I said, well, not really. And she's like, yeah, this isn't a nine to five. This is going to be your life. I mean, it, you don't check out at five o'clock. Are you cool with that? And I'm like, I don't know. And she's like, well, you have a couple options. Find another job, get cool with it. 
or find something that you can't wait to do and get up in the morning to do every day, all day, whenever, you know, to live, breathe, eat it. And so I started to do that and I said, could I learn to love this or is there something else that I could do that would just give me great joy? And while I was going through that, my mentor mentioned, okay, why don't you just start journaling and just start writing down every day things that you like to do that maybe you've taken for granted, things you might ordinarily do that you're not paying attention to. So I started to do that. I started to journal, write down, started to ask friends and family around me, what do you see me do really well that, you know, maybe I don't pay attention to? And what came back a lot, both in my writing and with my friends and family was, well, you really know how to chat with people and and connect with them. Maybe you could be a hairdresser or flower person. (laughs) I'm like, huh, okay, I don't like hair other than playing with my own. So anyway, going on that path, a couple weeks later, I was led to my first podcast. My friend was on a podcast. I listened in. And that was the moment where I had this kind of deep boom, like, this is what you need to be doing, podcasting. And I didn't know what a podcast was, but I heard her on it. And something deep inside of me, I felt it was God telling me, this is the path you need to be on. And for me to make it right at that time, because I thought I don't know anything about broadcasting, podcasting or anything like that. I said, okay, I'm going to use this as a tool for my consulting business. But as I went on that path and started my own podcast and started to do it, I I found that this was the thing I wanted to do all day long. And within six months, without even putting out much effort, much marketing or pushing out the podcast, we had reached 45,000 listeners. People started to say, how do you do sponsors on your show? I was like, what sponsor? I'll get back to you. I'll talk to my sales crew. I didn't have a sales crew, but right. so it, you know, it started to just come about as a business without me even pushing it. So I think the first thing I tell people is get clear on what are your things you just do really, really well that people want, need, and desire that you maybe even take for granted. My friend did it in the way when she was let go, where she made soups and loved to cook. And her whole family and friends loved her soups. After she got laid off, she started to make these soups and people started to buy them. And now that's her business. So, you know, a lot of the times you're looking, oh, I'm going to do this as a business because you think it's profitable. But I say go and look for things that you already do really well, that when you put it out there to friends, family and public, they need, want it and desire it and then push it out there and start a business. That's right. And I love soup. So that was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have, a lot of times you see them, they call them accidental entrepreneurs. They're like, I got really good at doing this one thing. And then someone started paying me for it. And I was like, maybe I could do this all the time. And then next thing you know, they're like trying to figure out how to run a business when they used to be, you know, an employee that was unrelated to starting a business. Right. I mean, that used to be me. You know, at one point I was, you know, working on computers and 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 I have always had a computer pretty much. And I'm, I'm pretty old to be a person who has always had a computer. And we were working on bulletin board systems back then, kind of pre-internet and then building stuff for that. And then, you know, got in a Netscape navigator and we started making websites. Right. There's still monochrome for the most part. <laughs> right. And then to just kind of, you know, took off from there. That's pretty soon. Somebody's like. Matt knows how to do that thing. Go see if he'll do it. And it's like, I think I think my first website I built was $50 in a case of beer is what we built it for <laughs> <laughs> in the 90s. Well, that, that goes, how did it work out for you, Matt, in that you started to build? Were there things you had to learn along the way? I, there was for me. I mean, I, that's the other point, I guess. Once you know the idea that you know the public really wants and desires and will pay you for, then you're like, okay, what do I need to know so I can go push it out there or sell it? Because the one thing is, yeah, you know how to do the thing, but you, there's many other things you need to do to run a business, like the accounting portion, the marketing, the sales, all that stuff. How did that work for you? 
Yeah, well, I was I was a contractor at the same time. So I was doing my business on the side and being a contractor. And then eventually just got to the point that I said, look, I need to incorporate and just take my business to be the full-time part instead of the contractor part being the full-time part. And I took a couple short contracts after that, but I'd only take like a couple months here, a couple months there just to get some extra money in. And then finally I was working with my now business partner on a bunch of projects and he had his company incorporated also. And we just merged them in 2014 and awesome. full-time since then. No looking back. Everything's turned out fabulously. And you found a partner that you worked well with. That's awesome. That's right. We only argue on days that end in Y. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. We don't really argue very much. But we do a lot of like two-person democracy. So I'm like, hey, I'm excited. We should go do this thing. And he's like, no, we should kind of research it more first. And then sometimes he's excited about something. And I'm like, I don't think we should do that. And, you know, then you got to kind of just pick your battles. Right. But it all pretty much works out in the end. It sounds like a good marriage. Like, you know, when you actually have a husband-wife marriage, it's it's got to be the give and take and compromise. But also what I like is it seems like you balance each other. Well, talking about technology and using things like Zoom and stuff like that, we haven't seen each other in person for almost two years. Wow. And we've been running a business the whole time. I have staff I've never met in person, right, because they're in Costa Rica. We had someone work with us for almost three years that was in California that I and Scott had never met in person until they were happened to be driving up through to Washington State one time. So we, like, stopped and had lunch with them. And that was, like, the only time we'd ever met them in person. So, yeah, I mean, you can be a digital business now. There's no reason that you have to be physically in a place unless you're some kind of service that requires it. Right. I mean, it's hard to be a remote plumber. (laughs) That might be hard. Yeah, it's a little tougher until the robots get there. (laughs) And then you start training up the robots, send them out and get it back. That's right. I mean, you could what you could do once you get businesses going, you want to get to probably the point where you can scale it up and then have other people doing that thing. And then you can send them out and be in a far away beach somewhere where you. (laughs) Well, that's a weird place for your business to be in, because when you kind of start getting there, you're like, I'm at the point where I could kind of take a pay cut and hire somebody else to do half my job. But then I'm going to have to train them and I'm going to have to do all these things. And is it really something I want to do? Or I could just do it myself and make some more money, but then I'll never make any more money than that because I can't. You get capped out. Duplicate myself, right? You're going to get capped out. So it's tough to get to that point. And we've done it both ways. We, we've actually grown our business and shrank it a little bit, finding the things that we can focus on that are highly profitable, but highly specialized work that's difficult to find people to do. Well, that's things that we're really good at. And you can't really hire staff for those things. Well, you know, what's also really good. I don't know if you've done this, Matt, is that I hire on a vendor capacity. So for a lot of the work I might need done, I might have a project. So I won't hire a an employee specifically. I might hire someone just for that particular project. So it'll be a vendor to hire out. And one tip I got from a number of years ago from a guest on our show is he said, you know, I got rid of all my staff. I had about 50 employees and I wanted to scale back because it was just killing me. I was just overworking and building the company, but also killing myself. So I scaled back and got hired this company that hires virtual assistants to handle all the different bits I needed. And so that's all he does. They're, they're not his employees. And he said it works out way less stress and way less money than I did if I had to hire the employees and pay all the bennies and all this stuff. Yeah, we have a couple of contractors that work, I guess, part time ish kind of hours like Dan that edits our podcast. That's he edits our podcast and he does some voiceover work. 
he reads my audio versions of my books that I write. And that's the only things that we do with Dan. I mean, there's other things that he can do, but he's got, you know, he's going to school. He's a busy guy. And uh, it's good for everybody. And man, you know what? A lot of things, I would say when, when, when you're getting to that point in your business where you're like, should I hire a contractor? Should I get a VA? Should I try employees? Whatever it is. I think that you need to realize how much of the workload is going to be managing the people and training them. But the training, man, I heard somebody, I and I, I remember this statistic all the time, and I can never remember this guy's name. I'm going to have to figure out how to find him again. But he said that if it takes 30 times as long to train someone to do a task that you have to do weekly, then it's worth it. Because before the year's out, that will have already paid itself off. Yes. Right. So as long as that person doesn't leave in six months, you know, because then you're kind of screwed. But so if it takes you 30 hours to train somebody to do something that only you, you that you spend an hour a week doing by the end of the year, then you're going to be in the positives again. And I mean, hopefully you don't have to spend 30 hours. I got a buddy of mine who runs an agency down in L.A. And every time that he trains people, he makes a recording of it. And then he has those videos edited down. And then all the new staff and the interns and stuff get trained. All the training videos of any training he's ever done is available to them, plus whatever the specific ones to the job are. Oh, great. So now he's got like this video library of training to run his staff. Yeah. And he's got a pretty big staff. He's probably got 20, 30 people there. Yeah, that's a great idea. What we ended up doing at one of the places I helped set up because I was brought in as a consultant to get their business up and running is they really didn't have any structure to the accounting department. So I helped set up, for one, a manual along with all the present people there. So if anyone does leave, now all the policies, procedures and everything to run that company at least in accounting, is already in a book and a handbook. So boom, you come in, here's all the instructions on how to run everything here, what it looks like, how to do the day-to-day basics. You can also get some software to do that too, like Process Street is pretty good. You might know some other ones. That's the only one I remember the name of. But we actually, we just made a manual. Basically, it's just a document. And, you know, it's the employee handbook. And we put in anything from how to put your time cards in to get paid to how to book you know, vacation time and things like that, you know, all the way to like what happens when a customer leaves or or we're not going to work with someone anymore. What do we have to do to kind of sunset that customer and kind of offload any any data and what should we keep and not keep and that kind of stuff? I don't know about you, but I think some of the hardest parts when a business is established and you're asked to come in and revise things or make it work better is getting the staff on board because they've gotten used to a certain way of doing things and they feel, well, no, there cannot be any other way to do it except for this way. I'm like, no, no, trust me. We're here to make everyone's lives a lot easier. And uh, so that's that's the hardest hurdle, getting people to realize there could be another way and let's try it. You have to have buy-in from everybody. Otherwise, it never works, right? Yeah. Everybody just goes back to doing whatever they were doing before. Yeah. Well, you know, if you just buy into what everyone wants, then it doesn't change because they're used to doing it the way they did it always because in their mind it works. But if it were working, they wouldn't be losing money. So it's really about, all right, let's just try one or two things different. Let's see how it goes and then make tweaks. So it's not set in stone and everyone can see it, give me feedback and give each other feedback. And, you know, by the time I left, this crew was really liking it because the, the whole point was to take work off of everyone's shoulders. No one should have to be in a business where you're having to, as they were telling me, work 15-hour days. That's nuts. Something wrong here in this picture of everyone's working crazy hours and not making money. <laughs> yeah, there's usually, you know, a lot of that stuff when, when you see those situations. 
either it's a super old process in place or the process just happens to be whatever they first person started doing it did and then they taught it to whoever came after them or they're still doing it that way ever since it started and they've never looked at can i automate this can i get a piece of software can i do this like is this process even needed right you just keep doing it because it's you know keep doing it yeah, yeah. It's a roast beef pan story. I don't know if you heard that. One. I don't know who said it, but, you know, where it was being passed on from family member to family member, uh, daughter to granddaughter to, you know, to cut the ends off of the pot roast and throw it in there. And then the mother was teaching the daughter and then the daughter said, well, why do we do this? And then the mom was like, I don't know. Let's call grandma because she told me how to do this. So grandma's like, I don't know. That's what my mom did. And so then they finally realized that they were just doing it because it was just passed on from family member to family member, generation after generation. But no one knew why you were doing it. You were just doing it. <laughs> right. And that's probably what's wrong with the majority of things on the planet. <laughs> is they're just still doing it because somebody told them to do it and nobody thinks about it. Nobody relooks at it and says, maybe we should do this a different way. You know, and a lot of businesses are started because of that. Like people just keep doing what they've always done and that gets passed down or handed down from from company employee to employee or family to family member. Right. And all that kind of stuff just keeps getting passed on and passed on. And nobody ever looks at it and says, is there a better way to do this or why are we doing it this way? Could we you know, is this even a necessity anymore? It reminds me of I saw this guy on Twitter. He was talking and again, somebody in passing. I don't remember who they were. But they went into a company, they were some kind of marketing consultant. They went into a company and the person who worked at the company was still posting on their MySpace page in like 2020, right? MySpace still exists? <laughs> and they're not not a musician or something, right? And they were just because that's the process, right? It's like on Tuesday at 2 p.m. we post on MySpace what we're doing, right? And the person doesn't know. They're like, that's what I was told. Yeah, I mean, you know, this this lady's been there for 30 years and she's been posting since she didn't know what MySpace was when she started doing it 20 years ago, let alone what it is now. But you know, that's a good lesson, Matt, because I think I, I last year in January, I did the same thing and that I started to look at everything I was doing in Savvy and in my consulting business and said, where can I cut the fat in time, money and, and everywhere? Because there's a lot of things we do, even as a new, be, new business owner or you start a business and where you are now is not where you were five, six, ten years ago. So you might be doing things that you started out doing maybe ten years ago that are not relevant today or are not beneficial to where you are today or where your business is. And you could be cutting back both on expenses and on your time if you just revamp things or, or change them up. I think an analysis of your kind of day-to-day -day tasks or the tasks of your VAs or assistants or employees, especially things like marketing tasks, housekeeping type tasks, right, are, are something that commonly they're put in place for a specific purpose. The purpose is no longer there, but nobody knows that they're still doing the task that the thing was for. Like somebody's still manually balancing a checkbook when you, you could download all the stuff from the spreadsheet and do a compare automatically in five seconds. And be look up. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> that's right. You can set a macro and it'll just automatically do it and send you the result to your email if there's a problem. And if there's not a problem, you don't have to look at it. Right. I mean, these are simple ways that you can save tons of money. And actually, I talked about this. So a while ago, I wrote a book called Flattening the Hamster Wheel. It's about people who are overworked, right? You're overworked in your business. So you don't know how to grow your business anymore because you're stuck. 
And they also have that thing that a lot of people refer to as dancing bear syndrome. What's that? Where you're you're the dancing bear and everybody pays money to watch the bear dance. But if you stop dancing, you don't make money anymore. <laughs> right. Good. Yeah. So if you leave the business, the business stops making money, which is why you have to work all day, every day or 15 hours a day, like you were saying, and you can never take a vacation. But in there, one of the things that we do is called the ice analysis. An ice analysis is a modified version of something that comes from a manufacturing analysis. And it's a way to find efficiencies in a system. And the columns of this sheet you would write is the first one is impact and the second one is confidence. And usually we do this for trying to figure out what a business should do next. But you can basically punch in the things you're doing now and do the same analysis. So you can say on a scale of one to 10, how much impact is this having on my business? And on a scale of one to 10, how confident am I about the impact that this is having? And then on the other side, you have what is the cost on a scale of one to 10, how much actual cost in money and then effort, right? So it's ice with two C's. So impact, confidence, cost, and effort. If you add up the cost and the effort and you add up the impact and the confidence, you subtract one from the other. If it's a zero, you got a problem because that's something that you are wasting time doing that has no impact. The higher the number, the more important the task. So basically, you can just punch these numbers into a spreadsheet or you write them down on a piece of paper and you can immediately add up each column. So you add the impact and the confidence together. You subtract the cost of the effort, the number that's left over. The highest number is the thing that you should do first. The lowest number is the thing you should do last. And it's super easy. It's something you can do in 10 minutes. You can just scribble stuff down on a piece of paper. And uh, you know what's not high on the list? Most of what everybody does for marketing their small business. Really? What do most people do? I would say the most common task that people say, like, this is something I have to get done all the time is they're like, I got to do all my social media posts three times a week or whatever amount of times of the article they read six years ago told them that they're supposed to post at what times a day that some article that they read six years ago told them what time of day to post. They do that religiously, right? And honestly, I'm not saying that social media marketing is a waste of time because it's not. I mean, we do social media marketing for companies. But if you're posting three times a week on Twitter, Instagram, you know, LinkedIn and Facebook and, you know, who knows where else. Right. Have you ever received any feedback or any client from all any of those places? And if the question's no, maybe you could do that once a week instead of three times a week. And not only that, for me, I'm not really good at posts and figuring out, oh, what, what should the title be? What should I be saying? Sometimes, you know, unless I have something specific that I want to speak about, I, I'm out of an idea of what to put in there. So, I mean, that was one of the first people um, I hired because I was like, you know, I'm not good at this. Go for it, people. You're good at this. Please help me out. They've been doing phenomenal. And, and that way... I know it's out there and I know when it's doing well, when I'm starting to get feedback and, and we have started to get a lot of feedback from when they were putting out the good as opposed to me doing it because I'm just not good at it. <laughs> right. And there's probably, depending upon the type of business you have, the, the marketing decisions that everybody seems to have, like everybody goes and reads the same, you know, 50 popular articles on marketing or small business that have come up on Medium or Forbes or something, right, in the last three years. And they're not one size fits all, people. Every business is different. We do social media marketing and advertising at my business, and we don't post nearly as often as most of the small businesses in the world. And the other thing is you've got an algorithm, especially when you look at Facebook right now. 
It's something like 0.17%, I think, is the reach that the average, you know, brand post gets. It's not even 1%. So, I mean, if you've got 400 fans, that's four people are going to see your post if you're lucky. And one of them's probably your mom, right? And the other one's your spouse. <laughs> I like that you say that because it's really dropped. When I first started on Facebook maybe 10 years ago, Everyone, well, it was a much smaller pool to begin with, but yeah, everyone would more, more or less see your post, but now it's, it's not like that. So you are pushing it out there and getting way fewer people to see. Even if you have hundreds of thousands of followers, it doesn't mean all hundreds of thousands of followers are seeing your post. So how many are seeing it? How much time are you wasting for only those few to see it? Now, here's one thing I found from, and this is a great lesson for me, is that I had this one guy, the follow-up, follow-through is one of my favorite things. And when I was working at one of the big corporations, there was a guy named Joe who worked at our one of our collection agencies. He would call us religiously every month. And he would be sweet as pie. Hey, it's Joe. I just want to see how things are going. How's it going? And can I help you with anything? And I used to sometimes get annoyed because I'm like, oh, it's Joe again. I don't have any accounts for him. But the thing about Joe is he was so nice. He remembered everything about the business, our families, everything. He was really good at that. So when something did come and we had a really difficult client and someone owed us $100,000, we're not making any traction. Guess who's the first person I thought of when that happened? It was Joe and his company. He was the one that became my mentor later on. But it really stuck with me, the fact that he was so persistent, but nice persistent. Not like, uh, the only reason I felt annoyed sometimes is because I just didn't have anything to give him and I wanted to give him business. But he's the first person I think about. And so I, I think that's, you know, we're so like, oh, let's get out there and do all that social media, YouTubing it, Twitter, la, la, la. And sometimes, it, you know, making that personal connection, maybe by phone, maybe via direct message, but really remembering to make the individual personal connections with people that could be, you know, possible people you can help. Yeah, I would say if you spend two hours a week doing social media for your business, if you took half of that time and spent it having a one 30 minute or like one one hour or two 30 minute one to one kind of conversations with people through like, you know, Zoom or whatever, right? Your business would grow twice as fast, if not faster. Absolutely. That's what I found. And I remember a couple of years ago, we started this thing in Manhattan where we would do this networking event and slash I'd interview a, a guest in front of a live audience, but we would put together a professionally done video that they can then use. So they only not only have the professionally done video, they also get the experience with the audience and connecting with them and all this stuff. So that's a charged event. So we were doing that. And, you know, I thought this is going to be a tremendous opportunity. I'm sure people are going to love. So what I did is everyone who had either worked with us, done business or had been a past guest, I just started to make an email. Is this something that you think will work for your business? And I got a lot of responses. Yeah, I'm interested. So then I just hit the phone. We did all those Zoom chats and we got quite a slew that were hooked up for the first year to get on there and to do that, you know, live interview with us. And it was it was very successful. People loved it. And yeah, but you don't know until you get out there and it takes that individual connection. I think that's one thing that is dangerous about social media. It seems so if you are not an extrovert like me, you'd be like, this social media is awesome. I get to hide my you know keyboard. I don't have to connect with people in person. But, you know, if you can get past that uncomfortableness, building the one on one to one, nothing beats it as far as building and, and, and those long term connections. Because even let's say they don't want to work with you. It doesn't work for them right now. If they build that relationship with you, like I did with Joe, I send people to Joe 10 years later. I still make those referrals. And that will be the same for you if you build those real connections. 
There's so many other ways that you can connect with people. You know, I can't remember who said it now. And I, I mean, I'm having a real hard time with this, this episode. Apparently, I don't remember anyone's name. But they said that that nobody builds a relationship from behind a desk. Right. And the idea is you got to go out and you got to like be in the world. And I know that's tough now because obviously coronavirus, there's some problems with it, you know, the varying degrees depending upon where you live. But there's no reason why you can't have a Zoom lunch meeting, you know, with someone. I mean, sometimes we call them Zoom lunch and I say, well, well I'm not going to eat while I'm on the thing with you, <laughs> you know, because a lot of people don't like that. But yeah, or go visit another networking group or, you know, if, if they have like a community association or a business association for your business. But man, you know what? Here's what happens. People get stuck, just like you were saying, right? They cut the end of the roast beef off, right? That's the Facebook posting of corporate America right now, is they're still cutting the end of the roast beef off. And they're like, I got to find five Facebook posts to do today. And I got to post them at 10 a.m. because that's the best time of the day to post or whatever, right? But none of that's been true for like six or eight years now. And if they took that that time and that creative energy and everything that's being put into that and made one good YouTube video a month, right? That YouTube video would get them more clients, more exposure and live there forever. I had Ryan Hanley on my show. He has his own insurance agency now, but the insurance agency that he used to work at years ago, they write $300,000 a year of business off a YouTube video he made six years ago. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Still to this day. That is the true amazingness of some of this technology, you know, for this videos that we've done for people that they can carry on using their website or whatever. It's that ongoing thing. People can come back to your website, see that interview, get to meet you in person like that. I used to call it the invisible handshake because, you know, they're not seeing you in person, but they're getting to really connect with you. You know, but you mentioned something else, Matt, that I thought was cool when you said cut off the ends of the roast beef or, you know, getting stuck in that kind of hole that things are done just like this. I had a meeting with a big client and it was during the Corona thing. And what I did, because, you know, I thought it would be really sweet. She's in New York. I'm in New York. I know a place near where they live. And so what I did, I had lunch sent to them just prior to our, our meeting so that they were surprised. They got a little cupcake with it. And I, I had my cupcake. I'm like, all right, let's have our lunch. But, you know, you could do cool things like that. It doesn't have to be that, oh, we're on a Zoom. It's just a Zoom call. You know, you could do something extraordinary and it doesn't take that much effort because there are places that can deliver now. So there, there are ways to get creative. I mean, you can kind of see from your clients or your potential clients, your prospects or whatever, like, not only how comfortable they are with certain types of contact, but I mean, depending where you live, right? Like I'm, I'm in what they call the Atlantic bubble in, in Eastern Canada right now. So that's Prince Edward Island, New Brunswick, Newfoundland, Labrador, Nova Scotia. You have to be a resident to be allowed in basically. Like even if you're a Canadian citizen, but you don't live here, you can't just come visit. They won't let you in. You can't fly here. You can't drive here. You can't, the ferries are closed. It's blocked off. How do you get in if you live there? Like, do you have a passport? If you're a resident, you have to show proof of residency. And then once you do show proof of residency, you have to have 14 day quarantine. There's an app you have to log into every day. You have to answer a few questions. And some people have had like the police check in on them and stuff because it's like serious. They're serious about it here. But because they've been serious about it, everything's still open. Right. And all the stores are open and and you can go. I mean, you still got to wear a mask, but that's pretty much it. Social distancing, wear a mask, try not to have large groups of people. 
there's no people here anyway, <laughs> oh, so that's, that's not really that difficult. <laughs> I mean, there's more people in New York than there is in all of Atlantic Canada combined. So, but yeah, I, I mean, before when I was still in Oregon, one of my clients, they run like building construction company. They do like well drilling and stuff like that. You know, they have like a rock quarry and they still all go to the office and they don't wear masks or, or anything, at least at the time. And because they're kind of out of, of any area that had any coronavirus. And this is months ago. But anyway, so I said, OK, I'm going to call you guys around 10. And then instead of calling them at 10, I went and I bought donuts and a bunch of other takeout stuff and coffee from the Starbucks in those big boxes, you know. And I took all that stuff out to them. And then at 10 o'clock, I banged on the door and they opened up the door. And there's me with my mask holding all the donuts and the coffee and everything. Like, we love you. Come in. <laughs> That's right. And, and and they're like, oh, while you're here, can we ask you some questions? And that ended up actually turning into new business for us on top of the work that we already did with them. Because they're like, oh, well, if you could do this, then we'll pay for that, too. And yeah, so connecting with people. Definitely the better that you can connect with people, you know, like we are. I mean, you can't hear it or see it on the podcast, but we have videos so we can see each other. And, you know, it's a much better way to connect than you hoping that you're going to reach someone by posting on, you know, your Facebook page or something. There is no organic reach on Facebook, people. Just saying that right now. Well, it sounds like you're just throwing a dart into the darkness, really. <laughs> it is. It's a dart into the darkness, except that there's nothing in the darkness. <laughs> like, unless somebody happens to share your post, it doesn't go anywhere. Nobody else sees it except for people who are fans of your page. And in that case, only like 17 out of every 10,000 will see it. Like, it's so utterly miserable amount. Unless you're going to pay to advertise, then people will see it. You know, what's interesting. The podcasting was my way to really reach the world. And I think when you come at your messaging, where, like I said, a place of service and you're not like trying to push more crap into people's face, like, oh, my gosh, so much more stuff. I don't I'm sick of media. But what it is, I wasn't coming out there with an agenda. I just started to launch a podcast. We had wonderful guests who had great wisdom to share in regards to running a business and other people have businesses. They learn. We learn. It was a win-win, but I found that our podcast seemed to have a connection that was built with other people without us trying, and that was the big key, that I, I wasn't pushing it or trying to push or try to get listeners. They just showed up. And, and when you get to that point where you find that means to connect with someone, whatever it is, whether it's podcast or a particular platform where that's a platform people just love to jam with you, then, you know, run with it there and, and you know, spend time with those followers there. Don't I, I know there's a lot of people on whole bunch of social media accounts, but really their traction is only maybe one or two places and, you know, really jam with your people where they are. So I couldn't agree more. And I see people waste a lot of time. Right. And and I don't I don't like people, especially entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, freelancers. They're when there's only you or maybe one or two people in your business. I hate seeing that wasted time. Christina, if somebody wants to reach out to you, maybe they want to work on their business or learn more about what you're doing. What's the best way for them to reach sure, out? Sure, they can go to lifeunscriptedradio.com or they can go to savvybusinessradio.com. And that's S-A-B-B-Y businessradio.com. Perfect. And thanks for being on the show today. And thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. I appreciate it. It was a blast. Thank you so much, Matt. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. 
Now stay tuned for a preview of our next episode of Digital Marketing Masters. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.